You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome to Fort McMurray Matters. Keeping you connected to our community. Brought to you by Cooper & Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. Good afternoon and welcome to Fort McMurray Matters. I'm Sean Kreitz and I have joining me over the phone here, uh, one-time journalist, always a journalist, and now author, Claudia Cataneo. Thank you so much for joining the program today. Well, Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to talk about uh, about this book, which actually has tons to do with Fort, Fort McMurray and, and uh, its all sense industry. And uh, I, I do hope that it will uh, resonate with uh, your your listeners. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time today. Always love to get to know a little bit about our listeners before we hop into like the main subject and everything. Uh, so, Claudia, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, what is your relation just to like Alberta, the oil sands and everything? I, um, I, I've lived in Alberta a long time, uh, moved here in 1985, actually, from, from out east. And uh, I moved here uh, to work initially at the Calgary Herald. And then uh, I, I, I guess uh, eventually I, I ended up uh, at the Financial Post, which was uh, taken over by the National Post. And uh, I covered the energy sector in Alberta and more broadly in Western Canada for much of my career, about 25 years. And, uh, you, you know, even in the early days, I was spending a lot of time up, up in Fort McMurray because uh, because people wanted to know about the oil sense industry, just the investor generally. But uh, uh, there, there was a lot of interest in uh, what uh, what was going on out there, uh, the new technologies that were being uh, implemented, how, how the, the industry was becoming finally uh, profitable after after uh, lots of uh, lots of difficulties so I, I covered the, the often uh, extensively and, uh, and and eventually um, as the industry expanded I I covered other aspects of, uh, of energy, natural gas, LNG, but I was also covering a lot uh, the uh, politics, not just Canadian politics, but world oil politics. So the industry was getting increasing attention about 20 years ago because uh, it was thought that uh, that uh, we were running out of oil, and uh, hence the, uh, the the attention to, uh, to to the oil sands. So that took me um, to a lot of places around the world to. Um, uh, uh, a, a lot of, uh, you, you know, certainly places were, were big decisions about about the oil um, oil investment, oil markets were, were being made. I stayed with with journalism until 2000. When is it? I, I I retired just before the pandemic, and shortly after, things really kind of crashed, both because of of the uh, the collapsing oil prices, but but also because of of many policies that that were implemented here in Canada. So so that that's kind of the my 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 experience in in, in the Canadian oil sector it was uh it, it was quite um it, I, I have to say it was quite a ride actually yeah that, that's that's super interesting when do you remember when the last visit was to the RMWB in the Fort McMurray area I came there just before I retired and uh, I wanted my last big piece 
to be about the oil sands. So I um, I did a big feature at the time about, you, you know, how Fort McMurray was struggling, not just because of the, uh, of, of the fire, you know, it, Fort McMurray was still struggling with the aftermath, low oil prices, pullback in, in investment, and then at the time, the campaigns against the oil sands industry were just raging everywhere. Like mm-hmm. there were so many things going on against pipelines, and uh, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of tension with other provinces, especially with British Columbia. And so I thought, you know, I, I wanted for for McMurray to have a, a voice about what it felt like to be, you, you know, ground zero of of this, um, you, you know really bad time in 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 uh in its main industry do you what, what would you say is your general takeaway of the region just aside from like the oil sands what did you take away from fort mcmurray i always loved going there i i have to say i i made many trips to fort mcmurray to the uh oil sands mines to the side b projects uh, south of, of fort mcmurray my general takeaway is what was that, that I love the people there. I love people who get stuff done. I love the the energy uh, of that place, the uh, the problem solving, the the fact that uh, um, you, you know this that town. Uh, I should say this town has attracted so many people from all over the world who are so incredibly driven to to succeed and 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 to kind of make things happen for themselves but also for for the area so so that was always my impression of Fort McMurray and so I I, I felt uh, the, the pain actually when when this campaign against the offense um, uh, um, took off because uh, because it was just not the way that I saw that that region. I saw it very differently. I, I saw it as a as a region that that really wanted to solve problems and that uh, was very generous, still is generous, and uh, and that um, is one of Canada's biggest assets, really. Mm-hmm. And so you are now an author. The Canada Project is the book. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Spoilers, no spoilers, however you want to entice the listener. So uh, the Canada Project is actually, it's a novel. It's a thriller. So it's quite different from the type of writing that I was doing in the past. So when, it, when I was kind of telling um, a lot of these stories about the Canadian energy industry, I felt that um yeah, you know, journalism was really limited. Yeah, you know, journalism, at least the way that I was doing it, has to be sterile. It's it, it it it's about giving people the facts. It's about giving giving other people a voice. It's changed a lot. It's not the way that that um, I felt comfortable with. But uh, but anyway, that's the way that I used to do it. You, you know, I felt that what was missing is you, you know a, a story that that would be really sweeping and that would tell you. Know, you know, a, a lot of the um, of the history of the of, of the campaign against the oil sands, why it happened, why industry itself failed to react to it at, 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 at the beginning, and uh, in, in a way, why Alberta is where it is today. So I, I think that you know Alberta has lost a lot of its vibrancy, and uh, it, it you know a lot of it is because because a lot of these growth growth plans are not happening anymore. But uh, I also wanted to have the freedom through a novel to imagine things, right? To kind of explore people's motives and uh, to um, I, I guess uh, 
just tell a story through the eyes of a handful of main characters and and what, what is it that drove them to make the decisions that they made. It, it's not a, a, a book that is pro-oil fans or pro-environmentalists or, or pro-media or whatever. I, I really tried to take a, a very sweeping view of, of what, what happened. So the characters are stereotypical. Uh, so, you know, there, there's an oil baron and you know, I interviewed enough oil leaders uh, to, to kind of know how they tend to think and how decisions are, are made. So they are stereotypical, but 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 they are the, the, the traits are exaggerated. So, you know, you know, like like the oil baron is maybe a little too greedy, <laughs> and the environmentalist is maybe a little too pushy, and. Uh, the media person, of course, you, you have to have a media person because that's what I was. <laughs> yeah, they're the coolest um, one in the book, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they are. They, they are. So, so yeah, it, it's exaggerated. <laughs> but how they interact, the uh, the dialogue, I think it's it it, it it reflects a lot of the things that 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 were said by by all sides. So. No, very neat. And I'm just curious, was it a hard decision to choose fiction over nonfiction? Was that even a, a tough decision? Or did you know from the start? I, the, the main reason I chose fiction is because I kind of wanted a new writing challenge. So I read a lot. I love historical novels. That's what I, I you know, I, I love to dig into some of these books that were written, you know, like some of them maybe 200 years ago that, that give you a good feel for, for what was happening at that time. And so I wanted to do something similar. And, uh, and I, I do hope that, that in time, my book will be seen as a historical novel. I could have done, you know, a nonfiction book, but a lot of them have been done already. Mm. I, I just thought that uh, fiction, first of all, would be more relatable. I, I think my book is very easy to read. It's entertaining. It's funny in, in, in some spots. <laughs> um, and and I, I mean, we also live in a world where it's very, very hard to say a lot of things anymore. And as you know, the uh, dialogue, the, uh, the conflict uh, between fossil fuels and, and, and climate change has has become very toxic, and uh, I, I think that with fiction, you still have a little bit of, uh, of freedom to just kind of stand back and, yeah. and and just have people talk, right? Have people talk. You have you, you can kind of talk about they are, you know, where they're really coming from. With nonfiction, it's harder to do that. We're joined here with Claudia Cataneo, author of the novel The Canada Project. We're just going to take our first break, and we'll be back. We're back to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Cooper & Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. And we're back here on Fort McMurray Matters. Good afternoon. I'm Sean Kreitz. Joined over the phone with author, former journalist, Claudia Cattanale. You wrote The Canada Project. Quick question. Could you feel like you could just like run free with your words, like being a journalist, double, triple checking sources, making sure numbers are right, et cetera, et cetera. It's like meticulous and everything. But with this like kind of fiction book, you can just let your wild thoughts run around and whatever you're thinking about. Is that like the mindset? Yes. That's the mindset. I wanted to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> so, like, you know, for, for example, I, I um, you know, a, a lot of scenes are are um, are in places. So, I, I, I knew a lot of events happened, but I wasn't there. 
And so it's really hard to create those events, to, to recreate them in a nonfiction environment, but you can create them in a fiction environment. You can imagine a lot yeah. of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was kind of the idea behind it. It's my first creative writing project. So, so like, I don't know if I, if I succeeded. I hope I did. But yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was also um, very demanding. I, I have a whole new appreciation for for people who write fiction because it really is hard. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a really really hard thing, and and it's uh and, and it's also like like something that's not really valued. It's hard to make a a, a, a fiction book uh, pay for itself. For sure, it, it's just it's just really demanding. Yeah. Diving into the Canada Project, are any of the characters, I'm looking for a little tea, a little juice here, are any of the characters based on real people from the industry and like society kind of surrounding the oil sands or maybe like locations? There are some um, very strong indigenous characters. One is a woman, I called her uh, Chief Anne Proudfoot, and she comes from a band in um, northern B.C., Another character is a young indigenous man, and his name is um, Anthony Littlechild. And he's actually extremely prominent in the book. Uh, And he ends up being kind of the savior. Um, And uh, those characters were very much inspired by um, the many indigenous people that I interviewed. Um, You know, people... um, Nellie Cournoyer, uh, so I, I, it, it's probably a, a name that, 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 that some of your listeners may, may not remember, but uh, she was extremely prominent in the Northwest Territories and uh, uh, outstanding Indigenous leader, um, made a huge impression on, on me. So, so she was certainly, she, she certainly inspired, um, you, you know, the, 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 the female chief. Um, but there's also, like, like I spoke to so many incredible um, entrepreneurial indigenous people in Fort McMurray, um, people like Jim Boucher or uh, Mr. Takaro uh, and, and many others uh, that, um, you, know, you know, built incredible um, companies um, and, uh, and um, um, really understood the value that um, development of, of resources can bring to indigenous people. So, so definitely they, they, they inspired me and, uh, and uh, uh, they, they are reflected in, in, in this novel. Very neat. And you were kind of mentioning that uh, it is you know, like your first jump into the fiction world, just writing like this. Do you think you're going to continue now that you know what you know, or what are you thinking? Um, actually, yes, I am going to continue. Like I, I started another book that, um, that, that I wanted to, uh, to work, uh, work on, um, as well. This book is more about, it's, it's completely different. It's more about immigration, but, uh, but I would love to write a sequel, uh, to the Canada project because, uh, um, the Canada project kind of ended in the year 2015. Um, and, uh, I just want to see, how things play out, you, you know, what's going to happen to, to the oil sands. Uh, will they make a comeback, um, maybe in a different form, um, in, in terms of being a lot more focused on, on uh, the environment, on, on uh, indigenous uh, inclusion and so on, or 
or you, you know, are, are these pretty much, you, you, you know, or, or or is this industry kind of going to be phased out? Um, I mean, we're all watching the uh, just trans- transition uh, discussion. You, you know, um, is is there room for for a thriving oil sands industry in in a world where you cannot increase uh, greenhouse gas emissions or or you know where greenhouse gas emissions have to go down to zero very quickly? Yeah, Let, let's dive into that a little bit. What changes do you see from uh, the boom times of the oil sands to now the present day? If you want to uh, give any opinions or anything. So I I was very fortunate to, to follow the oil sands industry from the time when the first big investments were made. So it used to be, you know, a two-company industry, right? It was Suncor and Syncrude, and uh, they pretty much dominated Fort McMurray and everything around it. There were big policy changes made, and we saw a huge influx of big companies. We also saw a huge influx of, of people uh, from other ju- jurisdictions that, um, for example, had put a lot of their focus on on, uh, on Venezuela. A lot of companies were moving to Alberta because of what was going on in Venezuela, which has similar deposits. And uh, so Hugo Chavez came in, into power. He ended up becoming very hostile to to uh, foreign oil companies that were working in the Orinoco Basin. And uh, and so a whole bunch of those companies just said, you know, you know forget it, we're moving out. And uh, and and they moved to northern Alberta because because uh, they saw the potential of of the oil sands. So that was. An incredibly exciting period. I, I mean, Alberta was just sort of like the center of the oil world for for a little while, right? As uh, as, as all these new players were coming in, a, a lot of uh, people from everywhere were were moving to Alberta to build these projects, and uh, and, and that continued. Uh, it, it was tough dur- during the uh, the global financial downturn, but uh, but then things uh, resumed because because the, there was such a fear that uh, that the world had reached peak oil, and then I guess uh, the Saudis got really mad about uh, some of these new oil sources, uh, including the oil sands and uh, and oil shale in the United States, and and uh, th- there was a huge price war, uh, as you know, and and uh, prices collapsed in 2015. Coincidentally, this campaign against the oil sands really, really took off. Uh, you, you know, especially post 2000 and. 2010 and and so a lot of people left and uh, and uh, I mean the, the industry was pretty much on on its knees what's happening now I think um, the, there is obviously a huge drive to take uh, greenhouse gas emissions out of uh, the industry, and uh, we've all heard about the Pathways Alliance. Uh, that's very, uh, that's very interesting, and uh, I, I think that we, we may see a bit of a recalibration of, uh, of, of what's going on, and and uh, and uh, hopefully the projects that are still there will continue to grow. I mean, I would like it to, um, I, I would like the oil sands to to become the uh, supplier of choice, especially given what's going on in world politics, you, you know, because so many countries need Canada's oil supplies, oil and gas, actually. But but, but we don't know, we, we just don't know yet, right? Um, so um, if this thing that is being contemplated goes ahead, what is the impact? Are people going to continue to invest in the oil sands? 
or are they just going to fold? It's really hard to know at this point. It's almost like we're at another fork in the road. Yeah, and that kind of just leads into my next question of, do you think uh, the oil sands will achieve mainstream acceptance uh, soon, in the future? What do you think? I think the industry is doing a better job of defending itself. Um, I think that uh, the campaign against it has abated, and some of it has to do with the with the inquiry into the foreign funding of 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 the oil sense campaign. I I think the inquiry has not received the attention that it, it deserved, but uh, but it certainly has done a lot to expose the fact that a lot of money, foreign money, went into. Um, trying to suppress a Canadian industry and, and it did a lot of damage like you know more than a billion dollars came up here to thank uh, to fund campaigns against the all fans and uh, and 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 that was not cool that's my view my novel talks a lot about that 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 is not cool I, I think uh, the campaign against uh, against the all fans was you know w- one of the first big kind of social media driven campaigns uh, we've seen a lot more now. We're not okay, for example, with the Chinese um, coming to Canada and interfering in our uh, elections. We're not okay, or the, the Americans are not okay with the Russians interfering in their own elections. Um, and uh, I, I don't think it was okay for so much foreign money to come here and try to shut down an, an Alberta industry. I believe that, um, that people need to decide for themselves what their economy um, should look like. And uh, I hope that we get a lot more of that in the future. And we're just going to take our second break here on Fort McMurray Matters, but we'll hop right back into it with the author of The Canada Project, Claudia Cataneo. We're back to Fort McMurray Matters. Brought to you by Cooper & Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix 103.7. And we're back here on Fort McMurray Matters. I'm Sean Kreitz, joined over the phone with Claudia Cataneo. She is the author of The Canada Project. What is the message you want people to take away from your book, The Canada Project? I hope that the book promotes reflection um, on all sides, not just uh, the the all-sense industry and why it wasn't listening. You know, the all-sense industry was very much focused on just growing and making money. And yes, there was a lot of greed. I'm I'm kind of hoping that uh, the environmental community is doing a little bit of a look back to whether this campaign was okay, because I I actually believe that it was counterproductive productive because in fact we all want the climate to um to be looked after just like we all care about the the environment but but the tactics were not great that's that's the way that i feel and and again i i think the big takeaway is that uh, i do believe that people need to determine their own destiny and not have that destiny imposed by others it's a theme that we see around the world and uh it certainly applies to us and Claudia, it's uh, John Tupper here. I'm going to throw a little bit of a wingnut question at you. Um, you know, we're we're talking, we're seeing the world uh, have a desire to switch to, uh, for example, electrical vehicles and and more battery technology coming along. And with that, energy comes the push for rare earth elements and. Uh, 
and, and, and new sources of things like lithium and mining. Canada is a massive uh, country. We have a tremendous amount of mineral resources. Um, there's talk about looking at uh, new sources or Canada being a new source of, for example, lithium for batteries. We're also a, a nation uh, built on indigenous territory. Uh, do you see some cautionary uh, tale or cautionary lessons um, from the development of the oil sands that could be applied to future uh, industrial developments of scale? Um, I think that, uh, that that's a very good point. And, and it's actually another takeaway. Um, I think that the oil sands industry, especially in its early days, um, was not paying enough attention to indigenous people. I mean, a lot of these resources are under their traditional territories. And, uh, and certainly, you, you know, uh, years ago, like 20 years ago, when, when the industry was, was, uh, was growing, it had a tendency to look at indigenous people as so-called stakeholders. Um, I think that that was a mistake. Um, I think that indigenous people need to be full partners. And I hope that um, that's the way that they're treated as other industries are, are developed. Um, I think they want to be partners. Um, I think they, they have incredible capacity to be partners and willingness. And uh, they want to have create their own economy and participate in, in the Canadian economy. And, and uh, so I, I hope that some of the mistakes that, that, that were making, made in, in the past are not uh, continued as other industries, especially mining, are, are, are developed. I mean, a lot of Indigenous people live in areas that are remote, but they happen to be close to resources, right? And uh, that workforce is, is, is huge and it is necessary and it needs to be engaged. That's my view. So let's uh, draw a comparison, or, or, or I'm going to ask you to draw a comparison. Uh, you know, if, uh, if I were to roll the clock back 25 years and tell you that uh, Canada was going to become a major producer, a major global producer of diamonds, uh, everybody would have thought that I was insane. Um, yet a person that was once thought of as a crazy prospector uh, found Kimberlite uh, outside of Yellowknife, and an industry was born out of nothing rapidly um, and, and quite quickly. We don't see the opposition to, for example, the diamond mines that are owned by um, a controversial company, De Beers, um, yet we do see opposition to the oil sands. What is the difference? Is it a difference in the type of resources? Is it a difference in emissions? Or is it a difference in the way that things were done? It's probably a little bit of everything, but in the case of the oil sands, there was a highly organized campaign. And this campaign targeted the oil sands because so many of the big oil companies were going to Fort McMurray. And um, the campaign was partly due to the fact that there were lots of people in, in the United States, and, uh, and I wrote a lot about this. A lot of people in the United States really wanted to, trans to, to transition quickly to green energy. As a matter of fact, in uh, like uh, around 2005 or so, Silicon Valley had a big plan to turn itself into Green Valley. So a lot of investments were, were being made at that time. And they saw, you know, the beginnings of, of, of the oil sands industry. And basically, they felt that the oil sands were messing up their business plans. 
that that was that was one of the roots of the campaign. So they were worried that the offense industry were going to suck up a lot of uh, investment capital. They wanted that investment capital instead to go into green energy. So this campaign was highly organized. I'm sure I'm sure you, you, you've all seen some of the documents that that, that were available publicly. But uh, the, the environmental movement saw the oil sands as a perfect villain, and uh, and and so it it, uh, it it built a campaign against the oil sands specifically because it was accessible for them, and uh, and and because it, it just needed to, to create a narrative. I, I remember when I was doing interviews in, in the United States, um, they, they basically saw the oil fans in Canada generally as a soft target versus a lot of other places that were also growing oil production. So, I mean, at, at the same time, you, you know, um, a lot of new deep water projects were, were being built all over the world, like in places like Brazil and um, uh, offshore Africa. Oil shale didn't really come into the picture until until uh, um, after the oil sands had ramped up. But certainly at the beginning, oil shale was not getting the pushback from environmentalists that the oil sands were getting. That's why, you know, there was a, an incredible pile on against the oil sands. That's what happened. Well, thank you very much. Those are uh, my main questions, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading your book. I, I admit that I haven't done it yet, but it is on my summer reading list, and I, I really want to thank you for your time and coming on our show. Thank you so much for, for having me, and um, yeah, read. I, I also urge people to, to read uh, the Steve Allen uh, report because, because it's important, and, uh, and, and I think that uh, you, you know, people will find it uh, eye-opening in, in terms of, uh, of finding out exactly how organized this campaign was. So thank you again. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time, Claudia, sharing your experience in and outside of the industry and just your views on on everything. One more time, the Canada Project. Do you want to plug socials, easiest way to get the book? So it's it's very easy to get. Uh, just Google the Canada Project. It will lead you to uh, the book's website. It's available at uh, all major retailers, so you can find it on Amazon, uh, Indigo. Uh, you can find it uh, in uh, the ebook. book version or if you want to support a Canadian publisher order it uh, from uh, Friesen Press. Uh, Friesen Press was the publisher of the book. It's uh, I, I picked them because it's uh, it's an employee-owned company and, and because it's Canadian. So, um, so I hope you read it and uh, I hope you get something out of it. Thank you so much Claudia. We once again appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. That's the end of another edition of Fort McMurray Matters. Want a copy of this episode or any past episode? Download the podcast at Mix1037FM.com. Brought to you by Cooper & Company Law Firm and Fort McMurray Orthodontics on Mix103.7.